Well, first of all, let me go to the beginning. The first five years were what I call the sweet spot. That was when we were just on fire. Locked and loaded. The Industry 45 Show with host Shane Christopher Neal. My name is Mark Thompson. I've written a book and Shane Christopher Neal is going to tell you all about it here on Industry 45. All right, uh, Mark Thompson, how you doing, my friend? Shane, I am really good. How's the world of country? Uh, it's okay. You know, country's okay. Rock and roll is equally as great, though. You know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do appreciate you taking the time to do this, and um, I'm excited that you have a book out, and uh, it's called Don't Bump the Record, Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian out December the 6th, and I commend anybody who can put their name first on a radio show. How did you make that happen? <laughs> well, when, um, when it was proposed to me about taking a partner, um, at that time, I was, had been in radio for right at 15 years, and most of that was doing personality-based radio, so I had good experience in that world. Brian uh, came from the world of uh, improv comedy. He, well, for example, our very first show was his very first time to speak into a radio microphone. Oh, wow. So, yeah, just based on my experience in radio, my name went first. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Someone was smart about that. Now, uh, when did you fall in love with radio? Because I think radio is a passion, right? Like early on, typically you're listening to something or somebody, and it just makes you think, um, you know, this is something I want to do with my life. Where was that first moment for you? Yeah, um, you know, when when I was a kid, I, I, I couldn't sleep very well. And my father would not allow a single light to be left on in the house when we went to bed. So it was pitch black dark. And I don't have to tell you the imagination of a 10-year-old kid. You can see things in the dark that aren't there. But I realized that if I turned on my radio, my transistor radio, the light from the dial would illuminate my room so that I could see the the beast that was going to consume me. And and it worked. It helped me relax. I could see. So I slept. And each night I would do this listening to the radio. And I don't have to tell you, in a, in a, in a completely silent, dark house, the things you can hear, I could the tonality of the jock's voice. I could hear the needle on the record. I could even hear the air conditioner unit turn on inside the studio. And it was those nights where I fell in love with what radio was, which was my friend, the only friend I had in the dark. And little did I know that six years from those moments, laying in my bed trying to sleep, I would become that voice on that very same radio station. So my love of it began there, and it was the jock, the personality, the guy that, that made me rest, the guy that allowed me to sleep. It was, it was that, that moment where love came to me for that medium. You know, you worked in Los Angeles for a long time, and um, to, to be in such a big market and to be so successful for so long it requires a great formula, which obviously you guys had. Uh, what was that? How did you survive? Because I'm sure that everybody was after you at KLOS. Um, 
you know, the longevity. Well, first of all, I, let me go to the beginning. The first five years were what I call the sweet spot. That was when we were just on fire because we were doing a completely brand new kind of morning radio, not by design, really. Brian and I just thought that the stuff that we were doing was funny. We didn't kind of realize we were doing something completely brand new. But that was what made us what we were, the fact that we were original. The stuff we did, nobody had heard. And then as far as the 25 years, it's an amazing thing that I'm very proud of. 25 years, especially Shane, you're in radio, so you know, 25 years in a market the size of Los Angeles, and we were on the same radio station, the same set of call letters. And the bottom line is that even in the lean years when our ratings weren't great like they were in the beginning, we were still the best option for the company because we were still making money for them. Uh, trust me, if they thought they could have made more money with another show, we would have been gone faster than <laughs> Popeye can suck spinach through his, his corn cob pipe. Um. I'm sure too, being in Los Angeles, a lot of people, you know, come to the radio station, just pop in, you know, maybe it's share. I don't know. Um, did that happen a lot when you were working there? And how do you handle that when someone says, you know, shares just walked in uh, and is in the hallway, you know, do you want to speak to her? Because that to me, I, right now we're in a, in a midsize radio station. We're not in Toronto, but the big markets in Toronto get that a lot. Was that happening a lot for you? Yeah, the, the, the thing with the building that I was in uh, most of the years, it was ABC Broadcasting, then it became Disney when they uh, took it over. But there were three radio stations most of those years, and it, at one point there were four operating out of the same building. And I would see celebrities walking the hallways. Uh, the true story, I was in the bathroom I went in to the men's room. There was only one for four radio stations, one giant men's room. And when I went in, there was somebody at the urinal, and I was washing my hands. And, and as the guy finished his business at the urinal, he I heard this booming voice say, how are you? And I looked in the mirror, and Charlton Heston was behind me. And I said, well... I, I'm, I'm good, Mr. Heston. How are you? And he, as he was drying his hands, he said, blessed, my friend, blessed. And, and that's really a common occurrence to see someone. But I went into the men's room once, and Terry Bradshaw was in there. And I went ahead and pitched him, because you may well know Terry Bradshaw's a party walk, and he's a fun guy. Oh, yeah. And I told him, I told him who I was, and I said, do you have a minute to pop in? He said, sure. He came in for just like what was supposed to be hay, and he stayed for an hour and a half. So, nice. so yes, I stole many people out of the hallways. Um, and you put this book out. So why a book now? I mean, books are the big thing. Let, let's face it, right? A um, ton of them being written by everybody pretty much in the entertainment business, but there must have been some reason why you wanted to do this. So give me that backstory and why you put it out now. I, I I felt as though, I mean, it was around the time that we got into the Hall of Fame. And the fact of the matter was, when I was doing the show, especially in the beginning when it was so big and so great, 
I just knew that we were going to be a shoe in to the Hall of Fame. And the fact of the matter is, it took a massive campaign put together by uh, a great fan of our show, Laura Stringer. And we, that first year of her campaign, we got more votes than anybody else who went in, but they passed on us. And the second year we did get in. And I thought, why is it that we had to fight our way into something? I mean, I just didn't understand. It felt like the legacy of Mark and Brian was kind of slipping away. And I wanted to document it, you know, as opposed to getting a megaphone and standing in traffic and yelling, hey, what about us? I thought I'll do the same thing and write it down, the story behind the scenes that was happening while people were listening. And truthfully, I wrote it for the avid fans of Mark and Brian, which we still have thousands of, and I thought they would enjoy hearing the stuff that we were actually doing and thinking while they were listening to us. Question for you, just being a radio personality, um, I know early on you probably didn't have, uh, you know, producers and writers and all that stuff. Uh, When it got to that point, how did that change for you? Because now you have outside input coming into a show that you've kind of you know, started on your own and kind of honed with your, with your partner? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I, I cover this in the book. Um, as I sit now and I look back and this became clear to me when I was writing the book, the very best years of Mark and Brian were when it was just he and I in the beginning, those first five, six, seven years. Um, that was when it was pure. It was the two of us who thought alike. And it would take us, when we were talking about creative stuff for the show, it would take us maybe 60 seconds to come up with this insane, new, different kind of approach to morning radio comedy. And it was, it was the greatest creative period of my entire radio life. And then when producers come in and writers come in and I don't want to say it was a distraction, but it wasn't that direct line of pure creativity that Brian and I had. There was now other people in the mix. And and in my opinion, it seemed to dilute it just a bit. You know, that's a a similar story to what I hear from, from, from artists I interview because I'm a drummer to band and, you know, when you have a collective group of people that are creating art, but then you bring in record companies and outside producers and it kind of really does change the formula, you know, and sometimes for the better and sometimes uh, not so much. Let me ask you this question. Uh, We've all done great interviews over the years and we remember them but we also remember ones that didn't go as well as we had hoped. Do you have any of those? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone you want back? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, there were, there were quite a few. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two quick ones. Um, the ones that stand out because those are the most memorable ones. Um, we were approached to have the monkeys on the show, the actual music group, TV stars, the monkeys. And this was in the early nineties and they had reunited for a reunion tour. And we said, sure. Cause we both watched the monkeys when we were kids. So we thought this would be great. And we were then told that the monkeys, the four members, it was the original four. They refused 
to be in the same room with each other at the same time. So we had to interview them separately. And so we had Peter Tork in the room at that time, and it was Davy Jones' turn. So Davy Jones walked in through the control room door. Peter Tork went all the way around the console so as not to walk past him in the control room. That's how uncomfortable they were. And I don't remember a word they said because it was kind of boring and bland, but I do remember the fact that they just couldn't be in the same room together. So I'm thinking, good luck on stage. <laughs> and then the the other one was, I, I'm sad to say this because I'm such a fan of this man's work. We, um, we were going to have Christopher Walken on the show and I'm a massive fan of his, his acting. And I was really pumped about meeting him. And this was for Batman. He played Max Shrek. And I, I had read where Tim Burton was hesitant to cast him because Tim Burton is afraid of him. And, and so I thought this would be great. This is going to be great. And normally when we would have a guest, we would take a commercial break. And it would be about five minutes and Ted, my producer, would bring the guest in and I would spend those few minutes getting to know them, trying to get them to relax, uh, to understand that we're not out to get them. It simply makes for a, a better interview. And so Ted brought Christopher in and I did my usual thing. Welcome, Christopher. Could we get you coffee or water or whatever? And he interrupted me and he said, could you stop talking, please? Oh, and wow. I stared at him thinking that he was joking and he wasn't. And so I, I stopped talking and uh, Shane, as you know, in radio, we have these giant monitors. These are speakers and they're, they're huge. And so we hang them off the, uh, off the ceiling to get them out of the way. And after he had told me to shut up, he then points to the speaker that was above his head and said, turn these off, please. And so we, uh, we did as requested, and we all sat in complete silence for five minutes until we were on the air. And it didn't matter how uh, flattering the question was that I asked. He just wasn't having it. Uh, it was one or two word answers. He just didn't want to be there. So I got him out. Right. And if I'm guessing, as you know, every actor has a, a part of their contract that states that they must promote the movie. And my guess is he just didn't want to be there. He wasn't in the mood because I've seen him being interviewed in other places and it went fine. You know, Shane, it could be that he just hated me. I don't know, but it just, it was an odd moment of many. Is that in the book? <laughs> it is in the book. Absolutely. You can't have a moment like that with one of the oddest guys in the world and not tell that story. Absolutely. That's great. I look forward to that. Um, so you've done a ton of interviews, and I'm sure you've listened to a ton of them over the years. What to you uh, did make a good interview? Was it just connecting with the person that you were sitting across from? Was it like, what, what were those? To me, that's what it is. When I feel the energy from somebody, and it's positive, and we're having a fun conversation, like we're sitting at the corner of a bar, I like those interviews. What, what does it for you? Well, Shane, I always felt as though I was a good interviewer because 
I always tried to never ask the same question. Um, and we had Tom Cruise in the room um, during, uh, he did interview with a vampire, which Anne Rice was very publicly displeased with Tom Cruise as the choice to play her, her uh, character. And I think Tom might have felt there was uh, uh, troubleshooting, so he was doing the media rounds, and he chose to come in and see us. And I didn't want to ask him the same thing. And I, I, I asked him a question that I gen generally wanted to hear the answer to, because I said, so, Tom, you've worked with some of the biggest names in the business, Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, just to name two. Was there anything that you noticed about the great ones that you worked with that, that stuck out to you? And Tom looked away, and I knew then I had asked him something that most people wouldn't. And he finally said, yes. I was so glad to learn that Paul Newman, Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, they still have to work at it just like I do. It doesn't come to them magically. And I could tell that he really enjoyed remembering that and sharing that. And I knew that was a question nobody had ever asked him. So that was, and by the way, Shane, you're quite strong yourself. Um, asking questions that you genuinely want the answer to uh, and, and try to stay away from the same old thing. It makes it interesting for them. Absolutely. And I do appreciate you saying that. This book, by the way, uh, out December 6th, Don't Bump the Record, uh, Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian. And you have, uh, you're have you donating the money uh, to someplace. So I want you to talk about that real briefly, and then we'll wrap up. Nice of you, Shane. I, um, I was in the middle of finishing the book, and I knew that I, it dawned on me I need to call my financial attorney to let him know that there could be a little bit of money coming in and what are we going to do with it. And it dawned on me that maybe I should give some of it to, to charity. And I started thinking what it would be. And the, the answer was instantaneous. The unconditional love that I got from my dogs and cats over the years. For example, Shane, I'm in radio. You were in radio, so you know. I would be gone 10 hours. And I would come home and quickly put down fresh water and food for my dog. And, and, and what did he do? He didn't eat. He ran and sat on the couch with me and licked me and laid with me, was so glad to see me. And then eventually he got around to his food. What human being is going to celebrate you <laughs> when you come home 10 hours late? And that love of all my dogs and cats, I wanted to, to, to pay back. I wanted to give not just a portion, I'm giving 100% uh, of the proceeds from this book and the show we're doing at the Saban Theater uh, to the rescue and welfare of animals in Southern California. Allison Eastwood is building a rescue center where she goes into the kill shelters and she takes all the animals that are scheduled for the next day to, to be put down. And she, she takes them and takes care of them. So she's trying to build this giant center to do exactly that. So we're, we're all in with Allison. That is awesome, my friend. He loves animals, rock and roll, and radio. Uh, Mark Thompson, I appreciate your time, man. I really do.
The Industry 45 Show.